Welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast, where we sit down with some of the most successful real estate agents, brokers, and team leaders to learn about their journeys in this industry. I'm your host, Art Batuzzi, and as a seasoned real estate agent of 29 years, I'm always fascinated by the stories of how others found success in this business. On this podcast, we'll be talking to our guests about the obstacles they overcame, the lessons they learned, and the tips and strategies they're using in today's ever-changing market. Whether you're a real estate agent, broker, team leader, investor, or just someone interested in real estate, you're in the right place. Our guests come from a variety of backgrounds, and they all have unique insights to share. We want to have fun with these interviews, but we also want to make sure that you come away with actionable tips that you can implement in your own business. New episodes will be released weekly, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast. Let's get started. When I was deciding to do a podcast, I got a piece of advice, and the advice was, talk to the audience like you're talking to an old friend. Well, I can tell you here for my pilot episode that uh, I'm very lucky because I am going to be talking to an old friend. My guest today is Mike Nielsen. Mike and I go back many, many decades. We went to college together at Drake University, and we have remained friends ever since. So we've been in, in and out of each other's lives during the past 40-plus years. And Mike, after college, had a very distinguished career in the military. He was in the Army, and he did that for 20 years in active duty, and he retired as a major in the Army. And then he decided to get into real estate. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to Mike Nielsen from Remax Realty Suburban. Mike, why don't you say hi? Hello, everyone. So Mike, um, let's go back to college for a second. W wouldn't it be great if we could do that? It would be. <laughs> we graduated college, and what did you do after that? Why don't you just tell us a brief, okay. brief synopsis? Uh, real quick, uh, we graduated uh, 1984, long ago. Uh, I went on active duty in uh, 1985 and spent 20 years in the military, uh, traveling the world and seeing life, uh, how other people live it. I was an infantry officer to begin with, and then mid-career, I became a logistician, a quartermaster officer, and I was able to serve in logistics units uh, around the world, uh, received my uh, master's in logistics management from Florida Tech, and uh, ended up in my last assignment. It was at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, which is just northwest of Kansas City, and that is where I retired in 2005. After I retired, you know, uh, I was I was 43, and so I uh, you know, had to find what I wanted to do next. A lot of people retire from the military and they go back sometimes as a civilian contractor working with the military. And I did not want to do that. You know, I had spent 20 years serving our great nation. I want to do something else, you know, and, uh, you know, I defended capitalism. I want to go play in it. And, <laughs> and I, I'm blessed in the sense that uh, my wife, Martha, you know, was a hospital pharmacist. And everywhere I was stationed, she was able to have a job and she uh, was working here. And so when I retired, I was looking at different options and our children were still, you know, middle school at the time. And so uh, my daughter was very active in uh, gymnastics in Kansas City. And so I was looking for a job that had flexibility that I could be the dad driving to the the classes and things like that at night or during the day in the summertime during the day. And growing up, my father was a carpenter, home builder. So I was very comfortable 
with homes and walking through construction sites. And so real estate just sort of fit that cog. I saw local brokerage had a nightly meeting or what does it take to become a real estate agent? So I went and uh, sat in and listened and, you know, I said, well, this sounds interesting and exciting. Let me try that. And and that started the ball going. And now I've been a real estate broker now for over 18 years. Wow. I mean, in your career, you've seen, have you seen a lot of people, whether it's coming from the military or from other different jobs, decide to make the change in the real estate? Yeah, yes, I have. Uh, they also say uh, teachers, policemen, and firefighters make great realtors because the way they understand time blocking and they are focused and task oriented and and those careers make real estate a great second career for them so let's go back to your early years so if i'm right you got in if it's 18 years you got in right around 2005 that's correct so the market at that time was pretty hot mm -hmm. right right yeah the uh, the market was, was going very well um Interest rates were six and seven percent, you know, and so that's a normal market. And yeah. so that's, that's what I started out with. But, you know, if you look at the past 45 years, you know, the average interest rate over those 45 years is about eight percent. You know, there were homes selling at 18 percent in the 1980s. So right. so where we're at right now with rates back up to five, six, we're, I'm used to that. There was a study that came out from NAR that said uh, over 80% of all the realtors in the business today had never worked in an over 4% market. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, you, you, you got to not watch the media that much, but the sky's not falling. This is a normal market. Prices have gone up because uh, supply materials have gone up, but interest rates, you know, people have to own a home and you're going to, you know, if you're going to buy a house, the rate's the rate. You know, they, they say, find the house you want. They say, you know, you marry the house, but just date the rate. That's the catchphrase going around because, you know, you find the house you want, you get it. And in two years, if the rates fall down, you can refinance. So, you know, those are, those are just options. But yeah, in the early, in the mid 2000s, 2005 is when I started and, um, you know, business was good. And I had a good learning base. My broker I was with at the time, very good trainer. Excellent. What I found is that, you know, we went through like a 10 year stretch or 11 year stretch where rates were being artificially held down, right? A segment of the population that, you know, was like, yeah, rates are always at two and three and, and low fours. And this is the way it is. And and I, like you, um, had seen rates be, you know, I at one point I was selling stuff at 9%, right? As we were in 1999, 2000, you were in the nines. And nobody, I don't want to say nobody's blinking at it, but nobody was all that shocked by it. But like you said, that's a much normal market for where rates should be. It's I think a lot of the people over the past 10 or 12 years have been spoiled by these lower rates. And so when the rates started to creep up, it started freaking people out like, oh, my God. And, and you know, the math of it is what it is, meaning people are like, well, I'm going to spend more money for my property every month. Well, yeah, you are. I mean, there's no doubting the math of it you may not be able to buy the level of house that you want for the same payment. Mm -hmm. However, during the past couple of years where we saw the run-up on prices because there was low inventory and there was high demand, we saw prices jump up. And some of that was artificially high as well, right? It wasn't what the true market was. Did that happen in your, in your market? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we had that happen. Um, a new starter home, you're not going to get one under 300, which, you know, when I, in in 2005, I remember the new subdivisions being built, get your house at 185, you know, and now now they're three, three plus for a starter really? home. Yeah. Yeah, but I, 
I think you said it though when you said you know the cost of materials yeah have gone up. That's why when people say to me, "Should I buy a new home or should I buy an existing home?" I say, "Well, you know what? You got to look at the difference. The existing home was built with the dollars of the value of the dollars in the year it was built. the The new home is being built with today's dollars." which we would both agree you're getting less for your money today. Right, exactly. You know, and this was sort of a, 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 a perfect storm in the sense over the last three years with COVID and, you know, the mills shutting down. So lumber was not being produced as much a uh, year before that in, in uh, Texas, they had the big freeze where a lot of the chemical companies that make the poly and things like that, those factories had issues. And so there's a shortage there and just the pent up demand that, uh, you know, there's still a large demand for homes and all those things roll together. And that's what really caused the pricing to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think too, though, that some of the sellers got overly greedy. Oh, agreed. You know, and, and I mean, you know, and, and certainly I heard this during that. Well, what do I need a real estate broker for? All I have to do is put a for sale sign and I'm going to get 10 offers on my house. Did you hear that there as well? I, I heard that. We've, we've heard that. <laughs> and and so, you know, the, the fact is, is that when you start talking to those people, they don't realize what a real estate broker brings to the table in addition to just putting the sign out front. And certainly during the, the COVID years, you know, we, we certainly had a certain amount of people that felt that that was the case. But in a normal market where your house isn't selling in four hours or four days, you know, the value of a broker is, is you know, astronomical compared to somebody trying to sell it themselves, right? Right, exactly. And, and you, you got someone working in your corner. I mean, uh, you, would you go to court without a lawyer and just let the other guy's lawyer handle everything? I mean, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. That's a great analogy, the lawyer thing. You know, I think that that people, there are some people that don't view real estate as a professional thing. You know, I've heard people say, oh, you people are just like a step above car salesmen. And it's like, okay, not to diminish car salesmen, but I think that we as professionals have to know all the different areas of the, the deal to be able to effectively, you know, help our client, right? Exactly. So let's go back for a second to, to when you started mid 2000s um what kind of production did you have in your first year do you remember first year i think i had like five or seven deals okay you know, and and disclosure my goal every year is between 28 and 40 deals i do 22 or more i'm happy bills are paid vacations are taken everything like that you know because i'm drawn to retirement so, but uh, 20, 22 to 28 is my minimum goal. And I, I normally hit that every year. Got it. So for that first year, five to seven, mm -hmm. and then how did it grow year after year? Things that I recommend people do, you know, marketing is the, the most expensive cost or could be the most critical cost to your business as far as getting known. For 20 years, I moved 13 times. So I didn't have a home base. I wasn't able through that lifetime to, to do a lot of the organizational stuff I do now. But I always tell an agent, you know, uh, find some things that you enjoy, whether they're volunteering, you know, like local Kiwanis or the chamber or things like that, you know, get involved, meet people, you know, and don't do it because I'm going to get business from it. Find some areas of your life that you enjoy and support. And doing that, business comes. I mean, just just doing what you enjoy and letting people know that you're an agent. So it's really just consistency exactly. in terms of that. Let's talk about how did you weather 
2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12. What did you do to stay in the business during those five years, which, as we all know, the market turned? Right. Well, um, education, you know, in the military was important. Education in real estate is even more important. You know, there are some people, they'll get their license and they just do their CEs every two years or whatever the requirement is. And they don't look for extra uh, methodologies to find training information. You know, I, I, I put training important in, in my career. You know, I'm a certified residential specialist. I have my ABR, my GRI, EPRO, military, real, you know, I could go down, I, you know, and the, all those things help you become more knowledgeable and more proficient. I was a certified dis distressed property expert. I took that training and that helped me with my clients that needed short sales or things like that. I was skilled and ready to do that. Uh, I don't do this anymore, but what I did in mid-career is, you know, some a lot of my clients in this area were military and they would buy a home and Leavenworth is a short-term school. They're here a year or two and then they leave. Well, they got to the point that, um, you know, they couldn't sell their home right away because the values have fallen. I became a rental manager for my past clients. We don't do that anymore, but uh, there was a time I was managing 30 rentals. And so, and they were newer homes. I had sold them, so I understood them. Uh, and so it, it was lucrative in that sense. You know, it brought in income. And uh, then when it was time to... For them to sell, guess guess who they used to sell? Their their property manager because I helped them buy the house. So, yeah. So again, those long term relationships sort of held you in good stead during that time. Exactly. And you pivoted too a little, didn't you? Because obviously those people couldn't sell their houses for the value they were underwater. So mm -hmm. by getting them a rental, that was a pivot in your business a little bit. Right. Well, and again, that just shows how sort of thinking out of the box will help you in this career, right? Exactly. When you consider that our industry has anywhere from a 70 to 80% turnover each year, right? you know, that speaks to the fact that people get into this industry without understanding what it takes to be here for the long term. So I think the stat is 70 to 80% are out in one year and 90% are out in five years. Yeah, I, I've, I've read that also, yeah. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, people don't understand coming in that this is a business. It's not a job, right? But it's a business. So how did your logistics training teach you what you needed to do to be successful in this business. You got to have a business plan, even if it's a small, I mean, you have to be able to track what you're spending and things like that, because you're right. It's very easy to get a license, but you get your license and in a normal market, normal world, you may be working 30, 60, 90 days before you have any income coming in. And during that in 30, 69 days, you got a lot of income going out, you know, fees, costs, marketing, MLS, all that stuff. And so you got to be aware of that. And then when I have income coming in, I always broke my income in into four parts. I always uh, put X amount away for taxes, X amount away for business marketing, X amount away for profit slash salary, and then X amount for rainy days. I often had slow January, February, March. And so there's been many years where I have no income coming in in January, February, March. But I have put my reserves in there so I can continue to pay my bills and marketing. So it's definitely seasonal. You know, absolutely the, the idea of you having money set aside for the times when it might be a little bit lean is a great mindset. And again, I think it's one of the things that most people getting into real estate don't even think about. The, the other thing they don't think about, at least the young ones I talk about, is setting money aside for taxes. 
they yeah. they get their commission check and they spend it on on their necessities and their needs and and, and then more marketing and they're not putting that x amount aside so at the end of the year where do i come up with this money for taxes well <laughs> right and here's the thing i'm going to tell you that it's not young it has nothing to do with age it has everything to do with them coming out of a job mindset right right i mean i've seen people of every age do that right they're like well you know the the company always took the taxes out so so then all at the end of the year they're like oh <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that's one of the things that brokerage brokerages don't do very well. Right. Because I have students that have gone to every brokerage under the sun. I think they don't do a great job impressing that on their agents, their new agents early enough in their career. I'll tell you another thing, if I can uh, interrupt sure. is, uh, you know, after my second year or something like that we talked to an accountant and, you know we we incorporated so nielsen inc receives all the commissions well i don't touch that it sort of goes there and i pay myself a salary from nielsen inc and when you do that guess what you can take money from that and put it into retirement funds so i have a sap a after you get established within the first or second year you need to talk to accountant because you should be putting money away for retirement. And I think that more and more, well, number one, the suggestion of having your corporation is, I think, a great suggestion. Obviously, you know, Mike and I are not, you know, professionals when it comes right. to taxes and all that stuff. But um, what what we can say is, is that the professionals that have uh, counseled us have counseled us to do that. So I would suggest everybody talk to their accountant sooner than later. So you made it through the down years, you know, nine, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. And then, um, and I know your wife, I've known her almost as long as I've known you because yeah. um, you were college sweethearts. Um, she was a pharmacist, right? Mm -hmm, she is. She is, sorry, not was, is. What, now, she she hasn't retired from pharmacy. She still does she, pharmacy. She um, re semi-retired in 2013 when the corporation went through some changes, but they brought her back as a PRN. But so since in 2013, is that when Martha decided to uh, become a real estate broker and join? Yes, yes. Because uh, she always assisted me, you know, behind the scenes, you know, with some uh, the accounting portions and things like that. And when we did rental management, but um, that's when uh, we bought our brokerage. So she got her license and, um, you know, she does a few deals a year, but we co do a lot of work together. And we so co-list a lot of stuff. Yeah, it works. It works well. And then not too long ago, maybe right. in my mind, your son, mm -hmm. Michael, Yep. Decided to join the, the family. Team. My, Michael went to KU and had a degree in French and marketing. And he graduated in 2011 when there weren't a lot of jobs available. So the first job he took in Shawnee, he stayed there until 2020. And it was in the logistics field. I had him get his real estate license in college. And uh, so he was in my quote referral company. I had a referral company set aside just in case, you know, one of his friends at that age were going to buy or sell, he could refer them to an agent and he could generate some income. But in 2020, he came to us and said, you know, um, I've saved up enough with work uh, for my expenses for six months. I want to see if I can make this work. So we brought him on, uh, on our team. And that's when we merged our office with an office in Shawnee Mission and uh, which is really close to where he lives. I wanted to be with an office close for him that he can go in in case there's issues, things like that. And now you just, you're out of your home office because you're combined and right. they're in Shawnee, which how far is Shawnee from you? It's about uh, 20 miles. Oh, so not that far. No, no. I, I, go, I go in the office when I have city clients or I go in once or twice a month for meetings or things like that. But again, most of the real estate business is meeting people face to face and, and I meet them where they need me to meet them at. 
Got it. You know, and it's interesting that you say that because I get a lot of students coming into my classes that will say, well, you know, I can just do this whole business on my computer. And I say, well, you can do some business yeah. on a computer, but at some point you're going to have to be belly to belly, right? Right. Yeah. Like, like Lee Brown says, uh, you know, real estate is a nose to nose, toes to toes and belly to belly business. You got to be with people. Right. And, and you've got to be comfortable. Right. Working with people in that instance. And I think one of the skills that we may have lost over the past five years is the, the ability for people to have a conversation. I, th I think you're correct there. Yes. It just seems to me that a lot of people who are comfortable with the, the whole texting thing have a hard time being able to have a conversation. And a lot of this business is having conversations, isn't it? Right. And I'll tell you, you know, when I had my broker hat on, or even with uh, my son, team member, sometimes, you know, he's telling me why I'm doing this. I said, well, that should be a phone call, not a text, you know? And, and so, yeah, there, there are some times that a phone call is important to actually talk in, instead of the texting world. Yeah. I mean, I realize that there are some folks that are more comfortable with the texting. Right. And I would say of a certain age, that's, that's the thing. And if you're in that age, great. If you're not there, and, and again, think about somebody coming into this business now, there is a, there, there's, you know, 30 or 40 years above them. So let's say somebody comes in at 21 or 22. I mean, there's 30 to 40 years above them that if they want to do some real business, they're going to have to mine that right. group of people. Exactly. And so they need to meet those people where they are, not yeah. where you are. Yeah, that's one of my questions when I meet a first client, you know, how do you prefer to be communicated with? Phone, text, or email? What's your preference? And I mark that down, make a mental note, and I try to try to do that. Yeah, and I think that that is reasonable. And by the way, everybody, Mike is a great follow on social media, and I will put his social media accounts, his Facebook and his uh, Instagram in the, the notes. So if you want to follow him, you can do that. Uh, he's a great follow because I think, Mike, you do an amazing job being out there in the, the world in terms of how you show yourself, okay, in, in terms of real estate. Number one, you're always out in your community and you're doing things in your community. And what I like about what you do is you incorporate the people in your community. I would say I, I try to be as involved in my community as, as I can. You know, I, I primarily focus on, on the local chamber and uh, the local Kiwanis Club. Yeah, in the past, yeah, I've been involved and was the vice president of our uh, educational foundation and with the Salvation Army. And it just got to the point I had to, you know, for many years, I wasn't able to do this kind of work while I was in the military. So I always like to be involved. And then I got to the point where it's hard for me to say no. So if someone needs some help, you know, I was always there, but I got very busy with all four of those uh, organizations. So I had to whittle them down. I still support the other two, but I'm pr primarily involved in the, the local Kiwanis in the, the chamber. And so when we have those functions, uh, I try to um, raise awareness and involvement in those organizations. And I just find social media is a quick and easy way to do it. Whether, whether we're having a food drive the third Saturday of the month at Dillon's, you know, or whether we have our monthly chamber copy, click a couple pictures, let folks know what's going on and more of a informational thing. You know, I want everyone to be informed. So they can't say, well, I didn't know that was going on. I could have helped. Well, and I think that is, that's a secret. If you ask me, I see too many real estate brokers on their social media pitching only their properties, mm -hmm. which, you know, that's an element of the business. I get that. But if I want to go to a certain feed and all I want to do is see pictures of the properties you have listed, I'm going to skip through that feed pretty quickly, right? 
I think that your secret sauce, if I can call it that, is that you mix it up a lot in terms of you have chamber stuff, you have this, hey, I'm out here doing this, I'm at a, uh, you were at a home inspection the other day, you know, you do a lot of those kinds of things. And also, I got to tell you, do a good job about giving tips to people. Hey, it's uh, coming up. I, I remember one you did not that long ago before uh, winter started. Now's the time to take in your hose. Unhook your hoses. That's right. That's yeah. right. I enjoy those because it it's something that the average person who's not in real estate is going to appreciate. Have you found that to be the case? I did. I, I do. I, I get a lot of a lot of comments on on things like that. So I just think that you've done a great job building a network of people, and you speak to them using your social media. Is that a fair statement? I would say that's fair. Yeah. Your two primary ones: Facebook, Insta. Is that it? That that's primarily. I, I mean, I've got a Twitter, but I, I don't do much on Twitter. So basically, Facebook, really. Okay. And I, I mix a lot of my, on my, I've got a real estate pay, business Facebook page that that goes on there, but I mix some real estate, of course, on my personal page. And so you can see, and you know, when, when we take a little trip or go diving or something like that, and I, I've just shown myself sitting on the beach, writing a contract, you know, I mean, you can do real estate from anywhere. Yes, you can. And again, I, I got to tell you, I'm envious of your schedule. Mike and Martha have a, a it's not a trailer home. What do you call it? It's it's a, it's a trailer, a bumper pull trailer. Oh, all right. So that's how you go to all these places and you yep. stay here in your own trailer. And yeah, it's it's, it's nice to sleep in your own bed. <laughs> and while you're out there, you're meeting new people from all over the place, right? Right. And does that ever come back and get you business? It, it hasn't lately, but we always try when we meet folks at, at, at an RV site or something like that, you know, let them know what we do. And we always trade cards and things like that in case our paths cross again. And I let people know that, and like any agent, really, you know, um, you can help people anywhere in the U.S. You know, I mean, with referrals, that's the nice thing about being an agent is you got the ability to earn referrals. And, and that's important. Again, through your travels, you, you certainly seem to be doing a great job in your, in your business and life balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very blessed. Well, you work for it, dude, though. Let's, let's be honest. You, you worked your ass off for 20 years. But, but you know, just, uh, just in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? In disclosure, you know, everything you see on Facebook is, is the shiny side, you know, and life is not always perfect and not life is not always fun, but it's, it's a journey. And, you know, it, it's, it's enjoyable to be able to put that information out and share with my friends and family and other folks who may find it interesting. Hey there, real estate Roundtable podcast listeners. I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. I love real estate school. If you're looking to get your real estate license or fulfilling your continuing education requirements, I Love Real Estate Schools got you covered. As an Illinois licensed school, they offer the state-required broker pre-license course, managing broker pre-license courses, post-licensing courses, and continuing education. And the best part, you can take the courses either through their live stream with the live instructor or online home study so no matter where you are you can get the education you need to take your real estate career to the next level i love real estate school is committed to helping you succeed in the industry that's why they offer comprehensive high quality education at an affordable price so if you're ready to start your real estate journey or stay up to date with your continuing education Head on over to iloverealestateschool.com today to learn more. So how has social media changed the game for you? 
I think it's uh, changed since as far as low cost advertising. You know, I have not advertised in a paper for a long time, but yeah, social media, yeah, has really come starting about 2009 or so. So the first four or five years was predominantly uh, newspapers, things like that. And that's the thing about real estate. When you start, one of the best ways some people make money in real estate is selling shiny objects to realtors. So define shiny object because people might not understand what you mean by that. Oh, I do. But... Uh, the, uh, you know, it, a new camera or the different flavor of a certain website or marketing promo or a, a booklet or things like that that comes out, you know, you have to see what's the, what's the return on that. Does it really, really help your business? It, yeah, it'd be neat to say, yeah, I'm in this book, but if it's not helping my business, why why put the money in that? But again, that's when, as you're starting, you really need to talk to a uh, broker or a mentor. Find a mentor who's can give you some guidance in your first couple of years. Highly recommended it, whether it's in your office or a friend somewhere else that's in the business. Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion, especially since, you know, everybody's got something. Exactly. Right? I, I will say that the most important thing you spend money on other than, you know, your internal business is a CRM. You definitely need to have a customer relationship management of some type. So the CRM allows you to keep in touch and to organize mm -hmm. your clients or your, your customer base, right. right? Exactly. Okay. I use mine to track, you know, I put as much information on people as possible. You know, my calendar pops, it tells me that their birthday's coming up or their anniversary or their home sale anniversary. You know, if I want to um, send a monthly or quarterly newsletter, I just select the people I want, hit a button, all the labels print out. You know, that, that kind of stuff. And it tracks when you sell or you, you send them and things like that. It's just a way to stay organized in your business. Well, so that leads me into this because I know that both of us, you a little bit more than me, are huge fans of Brian Buffini. Yes. And a lot of what you're talking about is the consistency that he, you know, promotes, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Being consistent. So how have you incorporated his trainings into what you do? Well, a lot of it I do follow, um, you know, Brian pushes uh, calls, notes, and pop buys. And uh, I, I incorporate that into my business as far as uh, you know, call my clients. Um, I try to t call them once a quarter and uh, see how things are going. And uh, still handwritten notes. You see something on Facebook about someone's child or grandchild or something like that, write a quick note and send it. They will open a handwritten note. They will take the time to open that. And it's just another touch. And then I, I do quarterly or seasonal pop buys. You know, I travel and visit folks, see how they're doing. Like, and I just did a mail out pop by for, uh, for St. Patrick's Day. I uh, sent uh, a St. Patrick's Day card and had a little trinket inside. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback on that. Well, don't you also do is a pie thing? I do. In, in, in um, in November, this the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I have, I call it my reverse pop by. And what it is, is I have, when I had my office in town, I would be there, but I use the local community center. And the month prior, I send emails, uh, invites out to my past and current clients and uh, vendors I work with and offer them the opportunity to come by and get a apple, cherry, or pumpkin pie. And so I normally give out between 70 and 100 every year. And it's a chance for me to actually face-to-face -face see my clients again. Because, you know, honestly, you may get, go a year without seeing someone. You know, you see them on Facebook or things like that. But it's a chance for them to come in, say hi, you know, give them, you know, happy Thanksgiving, give them a calendar for next year. And just another way to stay top of mind awareness. And again, the cost on something like that is minuscule. Yeah. I mean, and again, you're not doing it. Hey, stop by so I could talk business with you. Right, exactly. 
but the, you do yeah, it to stay top of mind. Because a warm lead, a warm referral is much easier to work than a cold lead that comes over the computer. If one of your past clients tells someone about you, you've already got that first step of authenticity, authority there. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that you would give out 70 to 100 pies means those are people that, that once again, had another interaction with you, a positive interaction right. with you. And I think it's a beautiful timing, by the way, because as they're at Thanksgiving and Christmas with their friends and family, and they hear somebody say, oh, I'm thinking about buying a house. I'm thinking about selling a house or whatever. They go, oh, you got to talk to my guy, Mike Nielsen. Exactly. And I think that not enough realtors understand the concept of being top of mind. Right. I'm sure. What percentage of your business would you say is referral based? I would say um, probably 65 to 70%. Wow. That's amazing. That's great. And then what are you doing to get the other percentage? What let's talk about your your lead gen methods. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to get that? I utilize, you know, the brokerage I'm with, you know, our website that we have with them uh does a good job in bringing in leads and being able to comb through those and and take the next step. Um I used to buy some leads um, and it just did, they didn't pan out. So I don't, I don't buy any leads. I, I do um, have a relationship with a uh, national lender that, you know, they send referrals out and if you can get them, then you pay at close. If, so if you're going to buy quote, buy leads, I would recommend there's probably about 20, companies where you don't have to pay monthly, you just pay at close, you know, and, and those were the ones I would recommend starting out that way, you know, there's no cost up front. That's, that's a great suggestion, because I'm telling you, that's one of the questions I get all the time is, should I buy leads? And I say, well, first of all, you're new. So you shouldn't buy anything at the moment, right? Because you really need to talk to your sphere of influence. Yep. That is most likely where you're going to get the majority of your deals. And then as, as a new agent, often, you know, you're right. You got to talk to your, your, your friends, family, sphere of influence, but then you, you partner with someone in your office, you know, hold as many open houses as possible. People, you know, busy, busy agents have a lot of listings. They're looking for people to hold, get out there and experiment and, and practice. You know, you don't want to necessarily practice on your clients, but you got to be out there. So you hold those houses open. And that's another way to meet people. And you're meeting people who are looking. Right. Right. And may not be represented by another broker. Exactly. And then that's the opportunity. So when you say practice, you're what you're doing is you're practicing on those people in terms of trying to get them to be your client. Correct. So you're practicing scripts. You're practicing, okay. you know, your, your, your methodology. I mean, in, in your own brokerage or with a friend, you should do some of that script practice and role play practice. Let them give some uh, thoughts, things like that. And you combat and come back and forth. Sort of like, you know, a little debate class. Right. And, Objection. Objections. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's, that's how you, you hone that skill set. And so who, who better to practice on that people that you don't know that are walking in the door and. You may get them to be a client. You may not, but it's still practice, right? Mm -hmm. When I first started, my uh, broker manager said, you know, set a goal to give five or 10 business cards out every day, Monday through Friday, you know, and, and, and that's sort of a practice thing where you're at the gas tank, you know, you start a conversation, you know, well, by the way, you know, I'm in real estate. If you, you don't have to ask them if they're selling, but who do you know that you think would be buying or selling this year? You know, please share my name. Right. Well, you know, that's one of the things I get, Mike, is that people will say to me, I don't want to be a pest. I don't want to be bugging my family and friends and that kind of thing. And I said, that's the wrong mindset. Who do you know 
who's looking to buy, sell, lease, rent, or invest in real estate, who I can help. Who year. I can help or who I can serve. There you go. Exactly. Yep. That's it, right? Yep. I've got a license and I can help anyone buy, sell, rent, or invest. Who do you know that I can help? Right. Mm -hmm. When you ask, who do you know, if they themselves are in the market or about to be in the market, it gives them the opportunity to raise their hand. Exactly. Without going on the defensive. But if they're not in the market, then it gives them the opportunity to help you help their friends and family get into real estate. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's a great way to approach it. And certainly one of the things that, that I like to teach my students, right? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give a new person coming into real estate today? I would give them the advice that understand that it's, it's easy to get your license, but generating the income is a 30, 60, 90 day down the way. Make sure you have a plan or a budget or some reserves set up to cover that. So you don't feel the pressure. You're going to feel pressure of no income coming in. You're going to, but if you have a methodology to help that for 30, 60, 90 days, that would be, be good and be flexible. Flex, you know, flexibility is very important in this business. It's a negotiation business and come into the business that at, when you have a client, you want it to be a win-win. It's not us against them. Your client wants to buy a house. The other agent's client wants to sell their house. Let's get somewhere where we can make all parties happy. It, it, it can't be a we versus they. And um, yeah, just being flexible, you know, with people's decisions, their situations that, you know, if someone goes under contract and uh, then has an inspection and the house falls out because of legitimate inspection issues, don't wear that on your sleeve. It happens. And don't count or plan on any commission dollars until the check is cashed. You said something earlier. Uh, that I want to circle back to. Um, you mentioned time blocking. Mm -hmm. What's, why don't you share the importance of that from your perspective? Often I, I go in or come down to my home office and I set time like from nine to 11 is when I'm going to reach out and uh, talk to some past clients, write some note cards, things like that. I call that my, that's my version of lead generation. You want to focus on that certain period of time, you know, and it's easier if you block it on your calendar and this is where I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do, and then save the afternoons for any appointments that may come up or things like that. Someone calls you, I'd like to meet, well, I, I'm, I, I've got appointments for the morning, but I'm free in the afternoon. And that's just a very minimal type of a blocking system. If you have children and they've got events, say at 3.30, to 5, you block those. Someone calls you, I've got an appointment that time. Your appointment's with your child or, or your family member, things like that. And I'll tell you, if you're in this business long enough after your first year, into your, people want your time all the time. It's okay to say no, as long as you know you are doing what, what's right for you and your family. Because at the end of the day, you go home to your family. Right. And so you want to keep that those relationships that boat sailing as smooth as possible. Yeah. Uh, real estate agents, they just don't get, they go, I should be available 24 seven. If you make yourself available 24 seven, people are going to use you 24 exactly. seven and they're going to abuse your time. Right. You know, be respectful and, but be respectful to yourself as well. And the value of time blocking allows you to legitimately say to somebody, I have an appointment. I've had real estate brokers say to me, oh yeah, I'm available anytime. Just, you know, call me. Yeah. Do they I, sound very busy? No, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Right? They don't they sound don't. busy. But if you say, you know what? I got to check my schedule. I know I've got this appointment from nine to 11. And sometimes if you don't have a choice, you, you, you kind of, eat into your time block, like you got right. an early inspection. Right. 
You say, you know what? I have an appointment, but let's see if I can move it around for it. Yeah, exactly. And it's now, a case, it's a case by case yeah situation, but it gives you a baseline to start from to defend yourself. Right, but it also gives you the ability that Mike, I really appreciate you adjusting your schedule to be able to help me out. Exactly, right? and yeah. and that's what you're effectively doing is you're adjusting your schedule. You know, and and some people have said to me, well, what if I don't have an appointment? Do what Mike's saying. Block out some time for yourself to lead, Jen. That is an appointment. Exactly. I have found people will work around your schedule as long as you give them alternatives. Mm-hmm. When you say, I've got an appointment in the morning, but I'm available from 1 to 2.30. All right, I'll, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's put that in, Right. What would you say are common misconceptions that people have about real estate? I would say some of the most common is that it's easy. It can be easy to get your license, but then once you get your license, the learning and the situational aspects of it, not always easy. Having uh, different relationships with different types of people, you know, you have to be the chameleon to change you know, i'm talking to this client here and they're very extroverted and then you talk to someone over here and, and they're an engineer and you have to pull information out of them you know i mean you have to have to be flexible the other misconception is um as a whole are the cause of this is that we make millions and millions of dollars <laughs> not necessarily true no but I'm, you know the perception is that uh we're overpaid and, you know, you look at it, the amount of hours that go into a transaction, uh, the risk you're at, you know, your E&O risk and things like that. And then whatever split you're on with your broker, I mean, you know, X percent of a sale, you don't get it all. I think that's a real thing. And I have, I have certainly sat down with clients and have them say 6%, which is what I charge mm-hmm. um, to list a home. And then I show them how that breaks up. Exactly. You know, I'm going to give two and a half, maybe three to the other side. I've got to pay this and this and this. And so by the time you're done, I mean, realistically, it may sound like you're paying a lot of money, but ultimately I'm not getting all of that. Right. Exactly. And, and people need to understand that and you, you need to demonstrate that. To right. them. And they're like, oh, all right. I guess I didn't understand you know, what's funny is most people think they know what there is to know about real estate, but the majority, 95% don't. And I say to them, look, you're an expert in whatever you do. I'm an expert in this. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay up to date on the latest trends or developments in the real estate industry? I spend a lot of time um, browsing the web and you know, I'm, there are a lot of good real estate Facebook pages out there where you can join and it's a community, people from all over the US, all over the world post their issues and you get to see different perspectives. And so I, I have found the social media aspect of providing information uh, a, a good start. Do you still do um, seminars? Do you still go to seminars? I do. A lot of times online, Zoom seminars and things like that also seem to be a a less cost alternative. But there's nothing wrong with getting out there and uh, going and meeting other people. What other tools do you use or do you swear by other than your CRM? Basically, you know, uh, Facebook and, and the, the local events really is how I, I generate most of my business. How do you stay motivated when things go wrong? For me, again, it's a little different as a retiree in the business because I've got a baseline. But uh, I focus on my why. Why am I in this business? I enjoy serving and helping people. And I enjoy the benefits that you can get as as a realtor as far as earning an income taking the trips that i enjoy to take so you don't stress out over it no, if a deal falls no. apart i'm here to get my client what they need not what i need right yeah and i think that perspective is what not yours but the perspective of 
the public is that we're doing this because we're putting money in our pocket. Right. And that's yeah. the only reason we're here and on and on and on. And, you know, the fact is, is that none of us would do this if there or very few of us would do this if there was no money in it, because yeah. we do have to feed our family. Right. We do have to have a certain level of income to be able to have a lifestyle that we want to provide for our family. Right. I have found that when you put the client's interests first, mm-hmm. that the money comes. It does. It's hard when you're new to believe that. Right. Right. But considering the time you've been in the business, the time I've been in the business, the fact of the matter is, is it really is something that that is true. You know, if you just focus on helping, uh, what Zig Ziglar used to say, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you, exactly you'll get what you want. And, and, and Brian, Brian Buffini says, you know, if you get out and give it out in slices, it will come back in loaves. You there know? you go. Exactly. It, it will. And, you know, so much of this business is mindset, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, is there I'll, anything else that you would like to, to yeah, tell our listeners, our group? Technology has helped so much in our business. You know, I started 2005, which really isn't that far away, you know, technology wise, but uh, I was one of the first pre- people in our area in about 2006, seven to do electronic contracts. Cause you know, 2005 is all still by hand. And, you know, we have now developed into the electronic signatures. Uh, I've done entire transactions with, with people. I see people in person, but everything's electronic, you know, the using the dot loops or the docu-signs and things like that. It's a great way to show, you know, interact with people, especially at a distance. Uh, normally I sell one or two homes every couple years, sight unseen to clients that are like in Europe or Korea or Japan or something like that. Uh, during COVID, I sold, we sold five homes sight unseen to clients, uh, anywhere from 175,000 to a million dollars. Really? And, and, and using the technology, you know, you either use FaceTime or if they're, if they got the Android use Google duo and you won't believe how many homes I walked through on Google duo, given the tour and things like that. And uh, you know, it, it all worked out, you know, use the technology to a put you a step ahead of, of your counterparts or, provide that level of service to your clients that they need. I always say, let the technology do the heavy lifting today. Yes. Yes. Because between your CRM that you talked about earlier and keeping in touch with people and the, like you just said, walking people through homes and, and more and more people based on COVID have the ability to, to let us do that and yeah. be comfortable enough like what we're doing right now with Zoom. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when I started, um, it was before the technology. Right. In fact, the MLS in Chicago was a book that they delivered every two weeks. And so you would flip through the book, you'd find a property, you'd make a copy, and then you'd, you'd go out with your clients based on that. Right. So to come from that where we weren't even using computers, I remember computers sort of came in in 95, 96. Mm-hmm. And there were some brokers that were older than I was at that point. It's like, ah, we're not going to use a computer. We're going to be fine. And literally within two or three years, they were out of the business because of that. So I, I look at my my career and see the effect technology has had and certainly has made the barrier to entry in real estate much lower than it used to be. Right. In our area, you know, Leavenworth is the oldest town in Kansas. And I had one deal where I sold a house that was built in 1868. And uh, we went through and through the title work and found the abstract. We found the documents where the land was signed for from the Indian tribe to the, so it is interesting. You know, we work with, you know, so I work with homes that are over hundred years old to new construction throughout the KC metro area. And it's, 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 it's quite a journey. It really is. Well, that's fantastic. It is. It's fun too, right? It is. It is. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I like some people say to me, how can it be fun? Trust me when you're involved in somebody's life and you can help them 
get their first home or their next home. How does that feel, Mike? It feels it feels great. We get to be involved in this part of their lives that will forever change them. Exactly. And that's part of it. People say you do this for the money. You know, like I said earlier, we probably wouldn't do it if there wasn't money attached to it. But I think ultimately, as we move along, it, it starts to fill up the other buckets right. that the, we have, right? The, the positive experience bucket. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, my friend. Well, I greatly you, appreciate this and uh, hope all goes well. Thanks again to our sponsor. I love real estate school. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our amazing guest and you picked up some valuable tips and insights that you can use in your own real estate business. If you liked what you heard today, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Your support means the world to us and helps us bring you more great content in the future. And if you're an agent who's interested in coaching, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me directly through my website, myrealestatesalesmanager.com or connect with me on social media. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you the next time in the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast.